in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Miles Bridges was arrested for felony domestic violence. According to TMZ, he turned himself in yesterday. Uh, law enforcement sources tell TMZ a woman claimed she was in an argument with Bridges that turned physical. We're told police were called to the scene, but Bridges was gone by the time cops arrived. We're told the woman required medical attention. Miles Bridges is a free agent. He's 24 years old, scored 20 points per game for the Hornets last season. NBA free agency starts today, yeah. and he got arrested yesterday yeah. for domestic violence. Terrible, terrible uh, stuff in that in that story. And uh, if your teams, you're backing off right away, I would think. Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting part where it's it's a obviously a level of okay, you want to figure out the actual truth in this story. Right. How you know the facts? Right, but at the same time, are you willing to give Miles Bridges no. a big contract right now no. without knowing those facts? And I can't imagine many teams actually know uh, the facts of this scenario. So. Uh, brutal timing for Miles Bridges, and he might be um, a bad person. We'll see what actually happens here after he turned himself in. But yes, one of what could have been a fairly big name in free agency uh, with quite possibly the worst timed arrest. 24 he years old. Had. He's only 24. Yeah. And I mean, was a 20 point per game guy last year for the Hornets. Like, had a good season, was probably going to cash in pretty well. And we'll see how that actually impacts his salary and what happens to him legally i mean if this is as legit as the woman claims according to tmz well he's got a lot more to worry about than getting right. a new contract in the nba right. new contract is yeah very low on his list of uh, uh priorities right now that's crafty wording right there i give you credit <laughs> jeremy pena and jordan alvarez collided while trying to catch a fly ball yesterday both ended up leaving the game most likely with concussion-like symptoms. Uh, Jordan Alvarez got a forearm right to the face, and Jeremy Pena got like a shoulder to his face. Uh, it was uh, one of the worst collisions I think we've seen this year in baseball as far as guys getting injured running into their I mean, teammates. they are down and very and not moving well at all. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, and they both ended up leaving the game. Jordan Alvarez got carted off. Jeremy Pena actually walked off on his own. The, uh, just so you know, Ed, the Astros are about as forthcoming as the Golden Knights are with injuries. With injuries? So, so like, right now, they're both upper body. Well, yesterday, Dusty Baker was like, I don't have any updates after the game. Just had zero updates whatsoever. And was like, I'm, a, I'm not a doctor. I can't speculate. But one of the Astros beat writers tweeted something like, well, they're both in the clubhouse and aren't receiving medical attention. So maybe <laughs> they're fine. But, like, Dusty Baker was even asked, you know, did they suffer concussion or was it concussion protocol? And he was like, I have no idea. And it's like, yes, you do. Yeah. Like, I, you have to know something. You didn't just show up and talk to the media without getting an update on two of your starters who left the game. But, yeah, the by the way, Astros swept the Mets in a two-game series, allowed one total run. Uh, you're welcome, Dodgers. Tr track them down. Get the number one seed in the uh, National yeah. League. Sweep the Braves next, will you? Yeah, I don't know when they play the Braves. Not for a little bit. But, yeah, what, are you afraid of the Braves now? Oh, yeah, they're on fire. Ah, whatever. That's, they're the Braves. That's two, along with the Padres, three, 
Three teams definitely uh, afraid of. Big, big series oh starts God. tonight, by the way. You know that. Wait, who are the Dodgers playing? Four with the pods. Oh, and you're gone tomorrow? You're calling in tomorrow. I don't know what you think you're doing tomorrow. You're no, going to miss the show after game one of the Padres-Dodgers? Well, yeah, I'll be at the wedding. I'm, but the, the, the problem's going to be, can I secretly be watching the phone during the wedding? Uh, That's what I did. Me. I was going to say, That's you got to pull a Tyler and just have the, have oh, the phone on the table at happen. the reception. Oh, I could, see the, I could see the look on her face if the phone even comes out. That phone's going to be off. There's going to be no ringing, no texting or anything when, uh, when the see, wedding's taking place. I'm not going to be sitting in the pool watching a game. The key is that the wedding I went to, the wedding was over before the Astros game started. Okay. So it was there was like a like a cocktail hour and then a reception, and the Astros game started during the cocktail hour. So I just you know had it on my phone, watched well, it, and it it wasn't during the actual wedding. This could actually happen because I think the weddings are on five and the games at seven. Yeah, so... you're good. Reception, whatever. You don't you don't have to watch the father daughter dance. Man, you can watch your phone instead. I'm telling you what, you don't know her. <laughs> if I if I if she looks over and there's a game on a phone, she she already uh, is disgusted by how often the Dodgers play every night. They're on again. They're playing again. I'm like, it's a, it's baseball season. It's a long season. There's a lot of games on. So the best part about it of me watching that game during the reception is we were sitting at a table with like people we didn't know, and at one point, you know what. I was like, oh, yeah, I do sports radio, whatever. And they asked me, like, what's the worst part? And my girlfriend immediately said, oh, that he thinks he has to watch every sporting event. And then I was and then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm watching one right now on my phone. So, yeah, that was. Uh, and you didn't incredible. know these people? Uh, no, they were uh, friends of the of my cousin's new husband. So I did not know them until we met. Them so then. at that point, you're not caring what they think anyway. Oh, not at all. No chance whatsoever. If they had, like, sat me next to, like, my cousin, then maybe. But no, I don't know who these people I don't even remember half their names. <laughs> what do you think? Amani Bates is transferring from Memphis to Eastern Washington. Amani Bates was Eastern the Michigan. number one. Or excuse me, Eastern uh, Michigan. Yeah, sorry. Was the number one recruit in the class of 2020. Two, he then reclassified last year to the class of 2021 and enrolled in Memphis early at 17 years old. He then ended up, uh, he started initially, but ended up getting benched for the most part. Memphis played better without him. He randomly left the team in the middle of last season because he had a back injury and went back home to Michigan. Very strange scenario. And now transferred from Memphis and is going to Eastern Michigan. Now, he is from the same city that the University of Eastern Michigan is in, but he's going to Eastern Michigan, uh, who went 10-21 and 21 last year. From everything I've read, this apparently stems from his father being insane and his father being such a pain that most college teams, even the ones that he reportedly had offers from, like Michigan, actually did not want him because they did not want to have to deal with his father. I thought he was going home to be the man, to be the star. Wow. I saw a quote from him like, I'm coming home. We're going to put him on the map. He was the number one overall recruit. He yeah. should have been able to be the man like anywhere he went. <laughs> exactly. You don't need to go to a random Mac school that won 10 games last year to be the man if you're that good. But it all apparently comes back 
to his father. Gary Parrish wrote a story about it, basically being like, when they realized he was good, his father built his own prep team around his son, and then his son never played other good basketball players again. And basically said that he stunted his growth because he never got challenged because his father just built this fake prep school that wasn't actually any good at basketball. So he didn't get to play against good talent. And now I guess there's been uh, reporting that Bates's father has yelled at Penny Hardaway, the head coach at Memphis, has like gotten to arguments with Penny Hardaway, yelled at Penny Hardaway about how he's handled or benched his son throughout the season and other teams that might know that apparently said, well, we don't want to deal with that. Even if the kid's really good. Um, I don't know how, feel, how, how I feel if I'm Eastern, when I see the direct quote, people probably think I'm crazy. I'm considering Eastern. <laughs> if I'm Eastern. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not what you should be saying. You're actually want to come here. They probably thinking you are crazy, but you we're going to hitch our wagon to you. Cause we yeah. were 10 and 21. Last uh, Eastern year. can put up with the dad by getting this kid. <laughs> the dad could be the head coach by December. Yes. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Again, great question. The Tampa Bay Rays minority owners are suing the majority owner, Stu Sternberg. They're alleging that ownership has been reduced to a mere shell with no revenues from baseball-related operations, no cash flow, and no responsibility of the management of the Rays team and franchise to limited partners. They also have a specific accusation here that Sternberg transferred the Tampa Bay Rays into a different business entity called Rays Baseball Club without telling <laughs> the minority owners and that the $376 million payment they got from their regional sports network has gone to that new baseball entity and that the minority owners were not told about that. And effectively, wow. they're saying he's hiding this money wow. from the other owners. I mean, it's definitely a reason to sue. We had, right. we had Ash on yesterday. Wish we could have asked her about this. Uh, but this is what a, what a fascinating story if he actually did this, if he transferred it into a different entity and didn't even t tell his, his other owners. Yeah. Oh, and took the money, $376 yeah. million. Pro how, does he, uh, how do you figure you're going to hide this? I don't know. I, I mean, have no idea. Because if I'm a minority owner and that 376 comes through, it's like, you know what? My check didn't arrive. Right? Exactly. So we have. Um, so the Rays owners are suing themselves. The Baltimore Orioles have like family of the owner suing each other, and the L.A. Chargers. Oh, have the Chargers family have the, the sisters selling uh, sister suing the brothers. It is like, hey, if your family owns a sports team, it is time to sue. Like that's what's happening in the sports world, and I can't wait to find out who gets sued next week. Happy to move on to the to the next question here, Aaron. The Kings have traded for Kevin Fiala. Minnesota got back L.A.'s 2022 number one overall pick, who was Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. Uh, or excuse me, 2021. Uh, Fiala had 33 goals and 52 assists last season. He is only 25 years old, was a restricted free agent, but I guess Minnesota was afraid they would not be able to pay Fiala what, the contract got, he wanted. They got Golden Knights problems? I guess. So they traded him away. L.A. then signed him to a seven-year deal worth $7.8 million oh, per annual average. year. Wow. Which is a big deal, but you're looking at a guy, again, 33 goals, 52 assists last year is a very good season, and he's only 25 years old. Here's the other key, though. Sarah McClellan tweeted out, the Minnesota Wild priority is to re-sign Marc-Andre Fleury. They traded for him at the deadline last year. The Minnesota Wild already have Cam Talbot, who's 34, 
under contract for $3.6 million next season. And now their priority is to sign a 37-year-old Marc-Andre Fleury for how much is he going to get paid? Well, Four or five million dollars? He's not getting his seven, but he's not getting two either. Right. And so you're telling me that the Minnesota Wild are, and and again, it's not going to be 7.8 million, but their priority is to sign a 37-year-old goalie for like 5 million, and they couldn't figure out how to pay a 25-year-old that scored 33 30 goals. goals and 56 assists? What? 52 what? assists? What kind of priority is that? Like, this that's ridiculous. Like, this goes back to my point yesterday. Do not pay your goalies. Pay the guys that are actually yeah. skating well, around. What and you, you have doing? a pretty good one in Cam Talbot already. It's not like you have right. some bum. Right. Like, I just, I'm blown away that that would be the priority order for the Minnesota Wild. Like, that just seems moronic for them to do that is be like oh yeah we got room for flurry at four or five million but that guy that scored 30 goals oh we can't no sign chance him. we can pay him seven or eight ridiculous all right coming up next we jump into major league baseball because we still have some fun baseball stories to get to we're back to the press box with grainy and bischoff cody bellinger hit a home run last night yeah he hit kind of a bomb well it was wow. a low pitch the only pitch he can hit so uh yeah it was a it was a low slider and he took it out yeah. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. In the rain, um, too. In the rain. Okay. So maybe he needs to hit in the rain more often. Yeah, maybe he does. <laughs> there you go. Trade him to a, rain, a city that rains a lot. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but just want to let you know, Fernando on Twitter says that uh, the Desert Dogs will be the first team to win a title in Vegas. Oh. Okay. So lacrosse right. for a team that I don't even – do they start this fall? I don't even know when they start. Yeah, this upcoming be... season. Okay. All um right. All right, Ed, important question for you. Is Freddie Freeman mad that he's a Dodger? He actually might be. He actually might be. I know he's mad. Well, he was so mad he fired his agent, but he was mad at how those negotiations with Atlanta went. And if you saw the crying over the weekend and the press conference and and the consistent, like, yawning from this guy, it just took everything out of him because he was so emotionally spent going back there to get his ring. He might have gone back there for those three days and realized, man, this is where I wanted to be. So Freddie Freeman fired his agent uh, this over the weekend. Doug Gottlieb, I don't know that Doug Gottlieb is our number one source on um, MLB agent news, but Doug Gottlieb reported that the reason Freddie Freeman fired his agent is because the Atlanta Braves made one last offer to Freddie Freeman before they ended up trading for uh, Matt Chapman from from the A's. They made one last offer to Freddie Freeman, and his agent apparently did not tell Freddie Freeman about oh. that offer. And that agent right now, supposedly on Twitter, is exploring all legal options against Doug Gottlieb for what he <laughs> says is not true. Yes. Um, and the insinuation here from Doug Gottlieb is that his agent knew that Freddie Freeman wanted or would have taken Atlanta's offer. And that they, he would have made less money, and therefore the agent would have made less money, whatever. But that's the idea here. And so Freddie Freeman apparently found that out over the weekend when he came back to Atlanta. And that's why he fired his agent. And he's mad at his agent, who's no longer his agent, and doesn't want to be a Dodger. Well, I don't know if he doesn't want to be a Dodger. I think he just would rather be a Brave be a more. I don't think he doesn't want to be Dodgers. You know, the family's from L.A. in terms of uh, where the dad lives. Uh they're enjoying themselves. The kids are in little league. It's it's a nice time for Freddie and the and the and the uh, family. The kids are in little league. <laughs> they don't have little league in Atlanta. 
Not as good. California has better baseball players. The kid needs to grow up in California. Not as good. Listen to you. Listen to you. It's. Uh, I think he's going to just force his way out of the Dodgers. I think he's just going to decide, nope, I'm not playing for this team anymore. I got to go back to Atlanta no matter what. Yeah, Chapman might have something to say about that. He's leading the league in doubles. <laughs> um, so there was a fun story from the weekend where uh, we had the Angels and the Mariners and they had their legitimate baseball brawl where a bunch of people ended up getting suspended including Jesse Winker. So Winker was the batter that got hit who charged the Angels dugout. He got ejected from Sunday's game. A fan, a Mariners fan, managed to send him or tried to order him a pizza through DoorDash to be delivered to Jesse Winker in the clubhouse after he had been ejected. And the amazing part is that the stadium security at the Angels ballpark actually let the DoorDash driver, excuse me, let the DoorDash driver in and they delivered the pizza to Jesse Winker in the clubhouse. So this random fan managed to get Jesse Winker a pizza. Jesse Winker sent the fan a DM saying thanks for the pizza or whatever. And then over 400 Mariners fans ended up tipping the DoorDash driver through Venmo because the fan that had ordered the pizza was tweeting about it for the entirety of the game. And everybody loved it. This stands out to me. How does fake Clay Thompson and DoorDash drivers get into these facilities? How well, do they he just... was allowed in. He was allowed in in this case. Allowed in, yes. But how do you allow... You know, you don't know what's on that pizza. You didn't let this guy in. It could have been like a scam. It could have been an Angels fan. There's something weird with that pizza. I mean, I just... And are you saying I'm going to the, I'm going to the clubhouse? That I is guess, so... I guess you do. The, the fan that ordered the pizza put in the instructions on DoorDash. This is for Jesse Winker. Tell them he's in. The, you need to go to the visiting clubhouse. Like that was and the they instruction. let him go. And, yeah, and the fan got there and they went up to one of the gates. They brought over somebody from security and said, "Okay, sounds good." And they walked the pizza down <laughs> to Jesse goodness. Winker. Who knows what's in that pizza box? Ah, it's fine. He oh, got a good pizza man. out of it. But how did they not, like, radio to another security guard yeah, who's say, watching yes. their clubhouse and say, hey, we have a delivery for this guy. Should you send somebody to go pick it up, <laughs> or should we just have him walk in They here? let this guy walk in with no credential because he was holding a pizza box? Why not? Time it's to try it. Well, 2022, there might be some danger there. Who knows? No, it's a pizza. <laughs> Time well, to, you can open the pizza and box. see what's on it. You can open. It's not like you can't see if the pizza's pizza. Or not. Are you eating that pizza or are you a little worried? Oh, I'm eating it 100%. You're eating a pizza that a stranger sends you? It's from DoorDash. The stranger didn't make it at their house and send it to me. It's a DoorDash. It came from a restaurant. Kind of with Why Danny on I this. Eat the pizza? I hand it to my teammate, let him take a bite and see what happens. Oh, my God. Why wouldn't you eat the pizza? <laughs> Give it's it probably to like sealed. I just think it's. I just think it's strange that the guy got all the way to the clubhouse. Absolutely. If that's what it takes. And here, he got, here's, he got I can show up and say I'm a DoorDash driver. I could show up and say that and just like have some kind of pizza box. Say, sure, I'm a DoorDash driver. I'm coming in to see Trout and Otani. I still have the food warming bag from when I did Postmates. Yeah. I'll, I'll go I mean, try it at T-Mobile, try to deliver to the uh, Golden Knights players. Yeah. Danny's a little crazy. He'll be going to the Golden Knights players seeing he's got something from Mark Stone. Who knows what he's going to be bringing? You guys are way too strict about this. Jeez. We're a little paranoid, just, actually. This guy's just trying to deliver a good pizza. That's all. Sure. I mean, 
props to the DoorDash driver. I mean, I'm not, I'm not to get all the way in just like Fake Thompson. I I think I give these people props that they can make this happen. But it does show you. You have to admit, it does show you. There's a little lax in security. If a guy can just come up to the Angels ballpark and say, I need to get to the clubhouse, my goodness, media needs about six security passes with credentials just to get near the clubhouse, and this dude brings a pie, and he just walks right in. I mean, that's a little <laughs> lax in security. It would worry me a little if that's if you can get to a clubhouse that easy. Ed, when you, the next time you cover a Raiders practice, take a pizza okay. and say you're delivering it to <laughs> Josh McDaniels. And then you can just walk over to the sideline where Josh McDaniels is, and you'll be perfectly fine. Yeah, it's a long walk from where I'm standing. So, <laughs> which one's more impressive, though, the pizza or shooting around before the game? The shooting oh, around. The before shooting the game. around. The, the shooting the around. The pizza driver got got escorted by security. Like yeah. they knew exactly what was going on. You guys are just upset they let it happen. <laughs> Fake Clay Thompson actually fooled these people into thinking he, he was, was Clay, Clay Thompson. Thompson. Right. This guy, the pizza driver wasn't like, oh, I'm Jesse Winker. I need to go to the visitor's clubhouse. No, he's like, I got a pizza for Jesse Winker. Fake Clay Thompson was like, I'm Clay Thompson. I'm going to shoot on the court. And he shot for 10 minutes. Right. And then was like, "Ah, I guess we should leave. And then he got in trouble for it. So, yes, the pizza driver. Just was just doing his job. That's all. Yeah, I just mean, doing, his, doing job. his job. I'll go back to. I just think it was a little lax. I'm not. Like uh, I said, I'm giving him all the credit in the world if he can make that happen. Uh, he's pretty persuasive guy to say I've got a pizza and I've got to get all the way to the clubhouse to, and then they open the clubhouse and he delivers it to him. Can you imagine some some jamoke walking in with a pie, looking around for Winkler, saying, "Where is this guy? I've got a pizza for him." I'd be pumped if I was Jesse Winkler. I'd be like, "Ah, <laughs> oh, we got pizza! Great! What a great! I got ejected and now I get pizza. Great day!" Uh, all right, listeners, show up to whatever remote Tyler does and give him some pizza. Yeah, absolutely. Bring a pizza. Bring a free pizza. Are you kidding me? You're bringing me pizza? Of course I'm going to eat the pizza. As long as it's not some ridiculously bad pizza, which how many bad pizzas are there? Not many. So, yes, I, that's probably made the entire day for Jesse Winker. That was a bad day for him. He got thrown at. He got ejected. He got in a fight. And then somebody made it better because he had a pizza delivered. How about the DoorDash driver with the uh, 400 Mariners fans tipping him through Venmo? Yeah. Beautiful. Big day. Yeah, because he got the pizza to Jesse Winker. Bigger day than Jesse Winker had, I'll tell you that. Do we, yeah. know, do we know how much money that driver made? Because, I mean, they 400 did, people. They it, did not say, but yes, if you know, you do the math there. If they all just gave $1, you're yeah. talking about $400. But, like, if they averaged out 5 bucks per tip, that's, what, $2,000? Yeah. So, yeah. Good, good day for him. He got to go into a baseball clubhouse and got $2,000. What else do you need in life? <laughs> all right. Coming up next, Darren Millard joins the show. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Milsey Millard. You're telling me Darren Millard is not here? Well, he was on Prince Edward Island last week, and I think he's still there. Um, so it's a little vacation for Milsey, but he, he should know this. He should know what's happening, and he should know this is his day. So very disappointed, extremely disappointed Milsey. They don't get cell phone service on Prince Edward Island. Yeah, he was there last week. I don't. I think he was on. Yeah, he was with on Adam and I last week, and he was he was there on starting his vacation. And uh, uh, I'm almost certain he's still there. So, told him to say hi to Gallant because Gallant's always there with the grandchildren. And uh, yeah, Millsy Millsy stiffing us. Maybe uh, Danny keeps um, trying, but well, in the meantime, while we await 
uh, Darren Millard to answer the phone. He'll probably answer it at like 841, right when we need to go to break. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what he's going to do. Uh, I have not read your story yet, but you wrote about UNLV basketball. What what was your big point in your story on uh, Kevin Kruger's Just wanted recruiting? to get his quotes like you and I got yesterday about you know his uh, his recruiting and how it's a defensive-minded team now. And he said last year, I want to know what you thought. He saw last year... I mean, I don't think they were great defensively at the any at any point, but that he felt they got better as the year went on. And when they went into recruiting, it wasn't like, hey, we got to blow this whole thing up because of defense. We just got to build on the kind of the bricks that we had out there defensively at the end of the year. I'm trying to remember that Wyoming game. I think it was 59-56. It was uh, not the greatest game in the world. But do you believe that? Were they better defensively? And was it easy to be better defensively than, like, you know, March to – February, February to January, January to December, and all that. Uh, they probably got uh, better. At, well, they started the year really good defensively, though. Like that, their first few games of the year were those close games, all in the sixties or what? One was maybe in the fifties, like against Cal, Gardner Webb, and somebody else. Like they started the year really good defensively and struggling offensively. It wasn't until the end of non-conference play that their offense actually started to play really well. So. They started off pretty good, so I don't think they were bad defensively early in the year, and they weren't like dominant defensively to close out the year. But yeah, they had a they had a good run there where they won like six of eight or seven of nine or something, where the defense was was pretty good in most of those games. But I think the the interesting part to me on on UNLV defensively, there was a preseason like video that was like, hey, here's a look at UNLV practice or whatever. And Kevin Kruger, in sort of a huddle, was telling his guys that they can be a top 25 defensive team in the country. And so they went into last year thinking that they could be really, really good defensively. They were not that good. They were fine, but they were not top 25 in the country last season. And so you sort of look ahead into the future here. They should have gotten a lot better defensively. Are they going to be top 25? We'll see. They were 97th in Ken Palm defense mm -hmm. last year. So good, but not top 25. It's a big jump to go from 97 to top 25. Right. He was talking about his efficiency numbers and his analytics. Uh, so you, you'll be happy with that. Uh, I'd look up to their 97th, but I think he knew that. Um, you know, 97th out of what, three-something? I mean, it's not horrible top under. It's not great, obviously. But I think he thought that they were better in the end than they were in the beginning. Um you know, that's at least what he said. And then, you know, ask him about the offense, and, you know, he thinks, like he told us yesterday, that will emerge. I'm not so sure. It might. It might be a lot of guys. It might be just one or two. But, I mean, I think that that's a legitimate concern right now, and you've talked about it before. Not only – you see, not only did they lose Hamilton, but then they lose their next two leading scorers in, in Williams and, and Ham. I think that's a lot to replace in terms of one or two guys. And I'm not so sure when we look at the numbers from all these transfers, you got seven college transfers – and eight new faces all together that they're going to find enough offense. So, so the question on offense is going to be, do they have shot creators and do they have guys that can finish or score efficiently? Bryce Hamilton for three years was the best shot creator on the team. And that wasn't much of a question who can create a shot. Oh, Bryce Hamilton can, who can do that on this team. It's going to have to be somebody that hasn't done it at a high level, at the Division One level, ever, right? Elijah Harkless is like the only one who's got any sort of scoring I would say pedigree. say 10 at Oklahoma. 
Yeah, and it was 10, which is, right. I mean, right. not to just dump on 10 points per game, but it's solid, but it's not, you know, oh, he's the lead guy. And he was not very efficient is the other key. If they give, if Elijah Harkless is like the go-to offensive guy, there's legitimate concerns about how efficient he's going to be. He might be able to create shots, but can he actually knock them down at an efficient rate to make it, you know, a good offense? I think that's going to be the key because, like, the Donovan Williams comp is a good one because they're probably going to have at least one guy have a breakout. Who year, has right? breakout. Get, yeah, new guy. Yeah, it, yeah. It's probably going to happen, but the key last year, Donovan Williams was never asked to be the number one guy. Donovan Williams was never supposed to be the number one option. Bryce Hamilton existed. So Donovan Williams' breakout came alongside a star offensive player. This year, they need like two or three guys to break out that way. That way they've got multiple options. If just one guy has a Donovan Williams breakout, that's not going to be enough. They were they were 87th in Ken Palm offense last year. That's probably going to take a pretty big hit unless they have a couple of guys have breakout offensive seasons. Let me ask you about one guy last year because when he came in, uh, you know, the big deal was made about his social media and all that. Um, but I think they thought they'd get more out of him. What does Jordan McCabe need to do here? Could he be that guy? He's not a scorer. Like, I think he, he can help create and distribute, but he's not going to create his own shot very much. And so him alone, he's not going to force a, a double team or help side or whatever, which forces the defense to rotate. He's really good if somebody else does that, and then he can read the defense and find who's ever open or take the shot himself. But he's not the guy that's going to, hey, here's a ball screen with eight seconds on the shot clock. Go get us a good shot. He's just... He's not that type of player. So he probably, he probably, his most important role will be helping, you know, if it's Elijah Harkless, if it's Elijah Parkett, if it's Shane, no, whoever it is, helping whoever becomes the number one and two offensive options. His biggest role this year will be helping them and helping them get good shots and helping their offensive dribble penetration lead to other guys getting good shots through passing. But he himself probably is not going to be that if we're talking about Jordan McCabe being the number one or two offensive option, either he's gotten much better or you and in a trouble. lot of trouble this season. Yeah. Well, they haven't been in the tournament since 2013. Uh, so no matter how they get there, whether it's 58, 55 or 62, 59, nobody should be worried out there. Um, or, or, you know, not liking how they play. I mean, if they're just a defensive-minded team like San Diego State, they can't shoot very well, but they can, you know, they can defend enough to get enough wins. Then that's all people should care about. For so long, you know, the the feeling of UNLV fans was they wanted this running gun. They wanted to, you know, harken back to the days of you know ninety points. That's over. You know, they they haven't been in tournament since two thousand thirteen. They need to get to the tournament. You've said it before. They need to get back to the NCAA tournament at least to show that they're making some kind of significant progress. And if that means it's sixty four sixty, then that's all it should that's all that should matter as long as they're on top of that number. Here's some fun uh, stats for you. Uh, since Dave Rice got fired, so the Marvin Menzies, TJ Otzelberger era, and the one year of Kevin Kruger, UNLV has been top one hundred in tempo just one time, mm-hmm. and that was Marvin Menzies' second year when they had Brandon McCoy. Uh, TJ Otzelberger very slow, two forty seven and two eighty one in tempo last year. 230 in tempo. So Kevin Kruger's first team, a very slow-paced team. But to go to the defensive side, last year, 97th in Ken Palm. That is the first time that UNLV has been top 100 in Ken Palm defense since Dave Rice's last season. Wow. 
Like they have been bad defensively for a. So they played long slow time. and they can't defend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is not good. Not a good. No, uh, that's not a good there. combination. So. I would guess this year we get another slow season. I don't think – well, Kevin Kruger wants the defense to turn into offense, which would create transition and create a faster tempo. That's probably not going to happen enough to be super high tempo, but I would expect another overall sort of slow tempo team. And then my guess is that they're going to be like 33rd in defensive efficiency right. this year and like 110 in offensive efficiency this year, which – should be better than last season, but it's still probably not an NCAA tournament team. I can't believe Millsy blew us off. Completely, Completely shut us down. Shut us down. Boy. Wow. This guy. Who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's on Prince Edward Island. He thinks he, he thinks he's a prince, this guy. Thinks he's a king. Walking around the island saying hello he to Turk. He's a prince. It took him all this time to get last week. Last week, I said, hey, you got to say hi to Turk for us. He goes, oh, I'll do that. I'll see him soon. Now he's not seeing him until like this week. Millsy. Uh, man. Prince Edward Island. Isn't it really small? What's he doing there? Well, yeah. How, how, how often does it? I mean, it should be just him and Turk walking around streets. He's you know, not from there, right? I don't think he's from there. Gallant I, is, but no, Gallant's from, like, Gallant, Gallant's from there. He's got yeah. the family there and the poker games and the grandkids. Loves the grandkids. Gallant never answered a question about what he'd rather do than coach hockey is to see his grandkids. He must just spoil the heck out of those kids. So Gerard Gallant loves his grandkids the way that Bill Lambeer loves his tractor on his farm? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a little different, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, Darren Millard showing us up. All right. Well, we missed Darren Millard. Coming up next. What if he the calls Las in Vegas. right now? Oh, call in right now. Then just, just yell. Tell Danny to just yell at him Yeah, for me. Uh, coming up next, the Las Vegas Aces have lost three of their last four games. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us in about 10 minutes will be the head coach of the Orlando Magic, Jamal Mosley, ahead of the Summer League. They're the number one pick, drafted Paolo Bancaro, and he will be in Vegas. So stay tuned for that. Also, we'll have tickets to give away later in the show to go to the Summer League. However, the Las Vegas Aces lost last night to the Seattle Storm, 88-78. to uh, The Aces struggled to shoot in that game, shot 39% from the floor, Asia Wilson was 6 of 16. Uh, Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum were both 5 of 12. Dierka Hamby was 2 of 9. Not a good day offensively. Uh, but they have now lost 3 of 4. Should we be concerned about the Aces a little bit, Ed? Maybe a little bit. I mean, asked, uh, asked Sam this uh, early in the show. Um, I'll throw it back to you in terms of the worst matchups. Uh, they are losing to good teams. Uh, but I still, in a 3 out of 5... I still think it'd be tough to beat them, but again, it, nothing has changed in that they're an injury away from being even with those teams, if not behind them. Brianna Stewart uh, still probably scares me if I'm the Aces. She's the reason the Aces did not win the title in 2020. She was incredible. And last night, Brianna Stewart actually didn't have a good game. She didn't hit double figures until like the last three or four minutes of that game, but she hit probably two of the biggest shots of the game to seal it up for Seattle. And on both plays the aces switched a ball screen they got uh one play i think it was chelsea gray another one i think it was jackie young switched on to brianna stewart and she's just taller than both of them and yep. shot over them 
And I think she's sort of the matchup that can Asia Wilson stay in front of her? They use De'Arika Hamby on her for most of the game. Like she's the matchup that's like late game scenarios. I don't know how well the aces mm -hmm. can stop Brianna Stewart. No, I mean, not many people can. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, like you said, they control her for that long and then she, she beats him in the end. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think, uh, they signed Erica Hamby again, uh, to your extension. Like I said, I mean, I, I think they're still the best team, but how, you know, defensively, um, they subbed plum out, didn't they for defensive possession? So, okay, here, I'll, I'll give you some opt. I'm always here for your silver linings. Obviously sure. I'm always the optimistic sure, pizza here. guy. I'm actually not. To last night's loss, I think there's there's some good things to take away, right? I think their biggest issue was on the offensive end, not the defensive okay. end, which we've seen how good this team is offensively. That shouldn't be a long-term problem. But the other part that I'm optimistic about, they actually got some bench scoring yesterday. Ileana Rupert, who is a 20-year-old rookie from France, she scored 11 points yesterday. She hit three of four threes. She made a two-pointer as well, played 15 minutes, and... Maybe the most important part of that entire game, late game defensive possession, Becky Hammond sub Kelsey Plum out and put in a 20-year-old rookie in Ileana Rupert, which to me suggests that Becky Hammond trusts her already. Mm -hmm. Now, she got switched on to Jewel Lloyd, who's much quicker and gave up a long two. Not the worst shot to give up, but she did get beat off the dribble by Jewel Lloyd, so it wasn't a great defensive possession from Ileana Rupert, but... She scored some, knocked down some threes, and Becky Hammond put her in in one of the most important possessions of the game defensively. They just signed her. She's been here for three games. She's averaging 15 minutes per game since she signed. She might be a, th a, a player to look at, a reason to think. The Aces might be finding some depth well, here. Like, isn't that the maybe? most important thing? I think so. Like Between now and the start of the playoffs, I think the key for the Aces, one, is to stay healthy, and two, is to find two players that you can actually trust to play off the bench. Maybe Ileana Rupert is one. Raquana Williams is probably still the favorite to do so, even though she hasn't really been a consistent off-the-bench player yet for the Aces. Had some injuries in there. It's been the biggest problem. But, like, there's potential there that Raquana Williams and Ileana Rupert are good enough bench players that the Aces' depth problem, it's still going to be an issue. They're still not going to have very much depth, but won't be as big of a deal the rest of the season if Ileana Rupert is going to be good and useful for the Aces. Aren't they setting themselves up for the future, though, with all the signings they're making here? So, I do like that De'Arika Hamber signed for 169 and could have had 171. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed that tweet so much. It was from um, Christina Williams. According to a source, De'Arika Hamby's contract decision with the Aces is two years, 169000 each year. It appears she took less to stay with the team. And then somebody else came in and said, the max was 171000 for Tierra Hamby. So she took a $2,000 pay cut, cut, apparently, on what she could have gotten. But this is what the Aces have. Jackie Young, Chelsea Gray, Tierra Hamby, all under contract for two more seasons after this one. So this year, plus two more. Kelsey Plum is a free agent after this season. Asia Wilson, one more year after this one. And then she'll be a free agent. Assuming they sign Asia Wilson to another contract, which I, I would assume they will. I can't imagine why they would let Asia Wilson leave unless she demands her way out. But assuming they get Asia Wilson under contract for another extension, then all you're looking at is needing to re-sign Kelsey Plum, and you've got what's been the best starting five in the WNBA this year 
for two more seasons after this one locked up. That makes you the favorite to win a title yeah. for three years, basically. Yeah. And then, presumably, you have a good offseason and you actually find some depth pieces and your team could be really good. Like, the, here, here's what's going to happen this year. The Aces win the title, and we're going to look back and say, the starting five was great. Becky Hammond elevated them. She did a terrific job. If the Aces do not win the title this year, we're going to look and say, the starting five was great, but they had absolutely nothing else to go to. And right. the reason is because they had a horrible offseason. I mean, this this it's one of the worst offseasons I think any team has ever well, had. Well, look they what happened with the draft picks. Right. They traded all of their 2023 draft picks for more picks in the 2022 draft and then cut all the players right. they drafted with extra picks before the season started. And now we're getting we're sitting here and we're excited because Ileana Rupert played 15 minutes and scored 11 points and we're like, "Oh, somebody they finally got some depth. Bench. They finally got a bench." If they had had a semi-competent offseason and added one or two decent bench players, this team would be unstoppable and we'd be like, "Well, they're not the greatest defensive team, but that would be the only flaw we would point to." But because they had such a bad offseason, if they don't win, that's what we're going to look back to. And next offseason, the key is going to be you got to find two competent depth pieces. Otherwise, you're just going to run your five starters into the ground and you can't trust anybody else you put on the floor. The best might have been those draft picks a, a day into camp. Oh, my God. I mean, how quickly did they cut those two girls? Like, Less than a I mean, month the, after they drafted, they drafted them. them. I, was, I saw that headline. Like, well, that can't be true. They just drafted those kids. Like, incredible. And And the part that's amazing about it is they cut them for whatever, more veterans to keep on the roster, on the bench, and then they don't use the veterans right. that are on the right. bench. Like, they don't play them. So it's like, how how bad were these rookies that players you don't even want to play right now were considered uh, better than them? It's it's bizarre. Like, we talk a lot about the Raiders off-seasons under Gruden and Mayock and how bad some of their drafts were and how bad some of their free agent signings were. The Golden Knights obviously put themselves into salary cap hell every single season. I think what the Aces did this offseason is worse. I think it's worse than anything the Golden Knights or the Las Vegas Raiders have done. And still, if we go back to the beginning of the show, we give the Aces the number one chance of winning a title in the next two yep. or three years. Their starting five is great. And, like, Becky Hammond has proven to be a very good offensive coach. Yes. Like, this team offensively is unreal this year. Like, Becky Hammond, great offensive coach. The front office decision-making and... Becky Hammond came in late because she was still with the Spurs. How much input? Did, I don't know where the blame goes, right? But terrible offseason. Absolutely atrocious offseason. But they still might win it because they're that good and Hammond has been that good as an offensive coach. They do have to figure out the defensive end, right? Like last night, even though the defense wasn't a big problem, they still gave up 14 threes, allowed Seattle to shoot 48% for three. Like that's been an issue for this team the majority of the season. And they're going to, that's that's how they get eliminated from the yeah. postseason. Like, somebody knocks down a bunch of threes. That's how they get eliminated. So, it's certainly possible that that's the answer. So, as Danny's on the air. Danny's on the air, and we have our guest. <laughs> Coming up next, Jamal Mosley from The Magic. <laughs> 